0: Cloud Foundry is an application developer-focused platform. Developers write applications and it helps them easily get their applications up on the internet. You can just run one command and it takes care of getting your code to the right places. It is open source, like all of the intellectual property is managed by the Cloud Foundry Foundation. We've had to get the engineers to understand a persona of the malicious operator.
1: You know, you love your users too much to believe that they would do something so evil. Hi, I'm Guy Poggiarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak, And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, find us on Twitter at The Secure Dev. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Secure Developer. Today, we have with us Molly Crowder from Pivotal and Cloud Foundry. Welcome to the show, Molly.
0: Thanks, you actually uh, pronounced that right. <laughs> really impressive. <laughs>
1: I get a lot of practice with Guy Pujarni, not you know the most catchy uh, tune that you'd heard. Well, thanks for joining us today. I think we have uh, some really interesting conversations to talk about today about Cloud Foundry security and open source as a whole. Uh, before I give away too much, uh, do you mind introducing yourself a little bit?
0: Yeah, so I work at Pivotal. I've been there for about a year. I'm actually a technical program manager, uh, which is also called a TPM what we do is we bridge the gaps between all of the small highly focused microservice focused engineering teams at pivotal help them talk to each other find you know breaking dependencies between them and we also tend to focus on horizontal aspects of the whole Cloud Foundry platform, including security or docs or just other things that every single team needs to get right in order to create a coherent platform.
1: Okay, interesting. So the security ownership itself still still lies with the different teams, and you're more the uh, the overseer, or is it the other way around?
0: It's very distributed, so we have a few kind of product teams that work on security. So we have like a security enablement team that builds tooling that helps the teams get better at security. I also kind of co-PM a security triage team that ingests vulnerabilities from customers in the outside world and tries to understand how bad they are and uh, the priority of getting them fixed.
1: Okay. Sounds like a pretty broad role. So Mm -hmm. I'm tempted to ask a bunch of questions there, but maybe before we uh, dig too much into that, you work on Cloud Foundry for Pivotal. Can you give the audience who doesn't know uh, just a couple of moments on on what that is?
0: Yeah, so Cloud Foundry is a application developer-focused platform. Usually when I'm explaining to people who know nothing about the cloud, I just say that developers write applications and it helps them easily get their applications up on the internet. I think the best thing about it is once you have your application, you can just run one command and it takes care of all of the routes and getting your code to the right places and putting it in containers and making sure the containers are healthy and all sorts of things like that.
1: Yeah, kind of the wondrous CF push uh, command to just move it. And it's a, it's a platform as a service, right?
0: Yeah. Um, it kind of depends, so depending on the company running it, because it's an open source product, it can be hosted. It can be on-prem at customers. So it's it is distributed in all sorts of ways.
1: Oh, interesting and yeah, it's it's definitely a very broad platform. I must say that I was aware of Cloud Foundry and Pivotal like for quite a while, uh, but really only dug into this this ecosystem in the last year and have been quite overwhelmed by both how kind of powerful it is and how widely adopted it is. For instance, the fact that it's the, it's the backbone for IBM Bluemix uh, and uh, the SAP Cloud, and just the sort of the the wide use that it has in enterprises that are looking to modernize their processes and, and control it. So definitely an interesting uh, environment. Sorry to uh, uh, maybe uh, belittle it with the platform as a service, but I do see that that sort of concept. You know, I sort of say cloud foundry amongst other things <laughs> as the uh, manifestation of uh, platform as a service as well.
0: Yeah, what's really great about it working on it in general is just it is open source. It's managed, like all of the intellectual property is managed by the Cloud Foundry Foundation. So while Pivotal is like a really big contributor to it, we're among all of these other like huge companies in this ecosystem and we're working together
1: to improve it. Cool. Like what was the history of that? I mean, how did that come to be?
0: Yeah, it's kind of complicated. It started, I think Cloud Foundry started as a project at VMware back in the early 2010s. And then at some point, EMC bought what was Pivotal Labs at the time, which has been around since the 80s and is the like software consulting arm of Pivotal. And then at some point, they took Pivotal Labs, spun it out with Cloud Foundry and a bunch of data products as like just Pivotal software. And that was in 2013. And then I think the first like Pivotal Cloud Foundry distribution came out at like the end of 2013. And then at some point all of the, the IP was turned over to the foundation so that we could build a larger ecosystem with a lot of other players and it's not just Pivotal.
1: Okay, definitely... <laughs> an elaborate history, but also I think uh, I think an interesting model today for sort of running this between the foundation and uh, and and pivotal, but also you know IBM and 18F and a bunch of others that are uh, participating. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll get back to that a little bit. Uh, thanks for for the backgrounds. Let's let's sort of dig into into security. So you you run at the end of the day, or at least kind of help manage uh, a lot of the security practices of the Cloud Foundry platform, right? Out of pivotal. What are the the highlights there? I mean, what are the kind of key tenants in managing Cloud Foundry's security?
0: It's interesting because as of about a year ago, a year and a half ago, a lot of Cloud Foundry's security was somewhat ad hoc and very... I would say crisis oriented. So (laughs) people would find things, and everyone on as many teams as possible would kind of rally around whatever the issue was and fix it as soon as possible and do whatever disclosures, like public disclosures, were necessary. But that was a painful process. I think it was also kind of a scary process. So around the time when I was hired, we started focusing more on trying to refine the security process a little bit more. So we spun up a triage team that takes care of incoming reports and understanding like the CVSS scores of those and being able to handle communication back to a reporter because we obviously, <laughs> when somebody reports something, it's important and we want to fix it as soon as possible and we want to make sure that they're like that person is happy and not yeah. you know doesn't wants to keep reporting things to us.
1: How do you receive such reports when you're in there? Because it's an open source project, but you don't really want somebody to just open a, a GitHub issue? Does that happen?
0: That does happen sometimes. We try to balance somewhat discouraging that with also understanding that like we are open source and trying to be like as transparent as possible that there are issues. We accept reports at various email addresses, security at cloudfoundry.org goes to me and a couple other members of the foundation who work to triage issues. And then we also get reports specifically from Pivotal customers to security at Pivotal.io, which also kind of goes through the same process.
1: Okay, cool. So now there's a there's an email. You yeah. know, somebody reported a vulnerability in your system that goes to you and a few others. The triage team kicks in and, and understand what's to do. What's next?
0: So what we usually do is we take a first pass of like, is this issue reproducible? You know do we think that this is a real issue? And then we've done a really good job at personally talking to most of the different product teams. So we have connections with all those teams. and when we find an issue, we'll you know jump into their slack channel or you know if they're in the, the right city, we'll go um, <laughs> tap them on the shoulder. And we've learned a lot from that just because I think when we first started doing it and people weren't really sure what the triage scheme was doing, like anytime I would walk around the office, people would just like <laughs> be afraid that I was coming to talk to them. Like it was kind of like you're the principal of the school yeah. and nobody wants to get in trouble. <laughs> but I think people have learned that when we're triaging an issue, we're really just trying to understand the severity of it and not like making them drop everything immediately to fix it. Cause that can be really disruptive and Somewhat terrifying.
1: Yeah, yeah, not a very pleasant experience. Okay, understood. So you're doing this, and and you're running around. And this is like this communication. These product teams span companies, right? Some of them are pivotal. Some the foundation. Some you know maybe IBM or, or SAP or others.
0: Yeah, definitely. Just depending on on what comes in, because there are various things that either aren't maintained by pivotal teams or you know open source teams that happen to work in the pivotal office. We have yeah people from SAP, IBM, VMware, like Spring in general, which is a pivotal product, but is also open source. So we have like tendrils into lots of different, different organizations. Teams. Yeah.
1: Cool. So and and then let's say you know it was resolved or or not. I guess you know <laughs> you take care of getting a CVE or mm-hmm. or a process like that.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty proud of of where we've come with our CVE process. I think last year. In 2016, we were actually, you know, CVEdetails.com or something. There's like a website that yeah. kind of aggregates a lot of CVE information. I think we were in their top 50 companies of like number of vulnerabilities reported, and that was really cool because that was mostly me, <laughs> like <laughs> manually writing out, you know, CVE notices and and having them posted. And we've also kind of split up a little bit. All of the notices used to go like directly on the Pivotal website, and that was really confusing for people who are like, you know, this is an open source component. Why is this on the Pivotal website and nowhere else? So we split all those out onto cloudfoundry.org. There's like good RSS feeds for them now, so you can subscribe to them. And we're in general just really proud of like how open we are with when there are vulnerabilities, like making sure that they're publicly disclosed and fixed as quick as possible.
1: So Cloud Foundry is maybe by its very nature, you know, it's a platform, and this is how I sort of see it, it's a it's a platform that is a good mechanism for enterprises to modernize their practices. Uh, and as a result, it's adopted by many security conscious enterprises, right? If you if you look around and you see who's using Cloud Foundry, many of those are banks or insurance companies or these telcos, large companies that are very familiar with security and have pretty stringent security uh, requirements. How do you communicate with them? These like organizations. My experience is that organizations like that oftentimes, for instance, like to get early notifications. They like they like to have somebody to blame. You know, like they, <laughs> they like to uh, to have some clear um, sort of ownership. You know, I'm trying to avoid saying somebody to sue. Um, how does that impact your work, if at all?
0: It definitely impacts in terms of how we explain potential vulnerabilities to the development teams and the product teams. That was one thing that that we had to learn pretty early on. That when a customer comes to us and says, "Oh, well, I think there's something here where like an operator could exploit the system," so someone actually running the platform at the company, like one of our employees, like this is a the way they would exploit the system. And for a lot of teams, it's like, "Well, they're an administrator; yeah, they an admin
1: that can do everything. Right? Anyway. They can
0: do anything, everything anyway. So why do we have to?" You know, prevent them from doing this one particular thing. So we've had to get the engineers to understand like a persona of the malicious <laughs> operator who either has socially engineered their way into a job or is disgruntled and wants to set booby traps for later. So that's like a, a big education thing that we've had to do just to understand how to securely develop your code while planning for people within the system trying to break into areas that they shouldn't be. We've also had to learn a lot about interacting with large enterprise customers when they come to you with a a penetration test or results of security scanning. Sometimes based on the results that we get, it's not that we have to turn them away, but we do sometimes have to compromise with them and what ways we're going to address some of these issues. Because a lot of security teams at some enterprises don't necessarily know, they have the security experience rather than the specific Cloud Foundry experience. So if they run scans on every single VM or every single container within a Cloud Foundry installation, they're just going to come back with 100 pages of like I got to an IP that I shouldn't have been able to get to, or something like that. So yeah. there's a lot of work that we do with our customers to understand how to address issues in an agile way rather than a waterfall way.
1: Yeah, I love the uh, the personas aspect of it. Definitely a difference in the uh, maybe the sensitivity, indeed, to which malicious actors to uh, to beware, depending on the audience you're in. So before we move off this, uh, maybe dig into the. Agile dev and such, a couple other topics I'd love to still explore on the vulnerability reporting side of it. Mm-hmm. Do you give any early notifications to? I mean, you're an open source project. So, to an extent, as soon as it's out there, as soon as a vulnerability is fixed, that fix is in the open. Is there still some mechanism to have the enterprise customers find out about a bit of vulnerability ahead of time?
0: So there have been a lot of uh, philosophical discussions, I could say, about this within the foundation and a lot of the, the companies that belong to the foundation. Currently, as a closed source distributor, we don't offer early access to information to customers.
1: Sorry, as a closed source?
0: Yeah, so in this process, we have to wear a lot of different hats, like me in particular. So... I'm a representative of the foundation in the process, but also a representative of Pivotal. So, the information that gets shared with customers who purchase closed source distributions is restricted until the vulnerabilities are public,
1: Mm, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, let me kind of echo this back and see if I got this correctly. Technically, you distribute closed source. Pivotal Cloud Foundry, so you could introduce a fix there before you made it publicly available. But that would make it somewhat unfair to those who use the open source version for it. And in the dynamic between the closed source vendors and the open source foundation, especially given that you manage security issues for the open source foundation as well, that's just the lack of neutrality here is too big of an issue to bear.
0: Well, it's not that we can't release software that is patched. It's that we have to be very careful about what we can actually say about why we're releasing that software. Because the member companies themselves do receive some early warning about things that are coming out. And we try to reduce the amount of time between when a fix is committed and when that information is actually public. So once a fix is committed, people are... You know, working quietly to to patch everything that they can, and like all of the member companies are doing that, but we're not allowed to say anything about it until the vulnerability itself is made public.
1: So the fixes themselves would make it into the open source code
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, without much detail. Yes. And maybe after that, somebody would come back and edit some commit messages. Exactly. <laughs> uh, afterwards, <laughs> to uh, to clarify it. Okay. So I find that relationship between. Pivotal and the foundation uh, to be a fascinating topic, especially when it comes to security. Uh, you work, as you said, you have this sort of at least dual hat, if not more. Uh, and beyond that, there's also other member companies that are, to an extent, competitors. To uh, they're not really, because I think every one of these platforms is, is, has its own unique differentiators. But other commercial cloud founder based solutions that mm-hmm. are benefiting from from Pivotal's work and specifically from your work on the space. How do you see, or how does how does it work, <laughs> sort of the split in responsibility between security responsibility between the open source Cloud Foundry Foundation and and Pivotal?
0: It's interesting. Pivotal as a company and most of the member companies do their best to not differentiate themselves based on security because we think that is detrimental to the platform as a whole. So generally everything that we do in security is either, you know, if it's a separate sort of service, it ends up being open-sourced. Credhub is a really good example of, it's a credential management solution that's tailored to Cloud Foundry that Mm. has been recently open-sourced. We definitely work as closely as we can with the other companies, sometimes in particular, time zones are like a huge yeah. issue for me, um, just because most of the other people that I work with at the foundation on security are uh, tend to be in Europe. <laughs> so, getting getting time zone overlaps is really hard. Yeah, as far as I've seen, the relationship between the companies and their relationships to the foundation are all really productive. It seems like they would be competitive, and I think probably the sales departments are very competitive. Yeah. But the actual product development, like we all. Understand that that we're working on this together and for the ecosystem to survive as a whole, like that has to be our main goal is to
1: collaborate well with each other. Yeah, to me it seems great. You know, I, I love to see both sort of multiple companies collaborating on security and specifically the relationship with the open source element in it. I think it's also again fascinating because for the most part when you look at open source business models out there, differentiation on security actually is the differentiation mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, not just security but rather on sort of enterprise grade reliability from assurances and support and all of that jazz, but also, you know, security and securing of the platforms and handling vulnerability management. So I'm sure this is a, a frequently discussed topic uh, in the context, but uh, it's great to hear that, that the, the companies are collaborating well on it. Maybe switching a little bit to, to a slightly different topic, you know, I think it's it's interesting to look at how security is managed on the platform itself, which is what we've discussed so far. But I think another area of of interest to our audiences to talk about the platform maybe as a means for security. right? To talk about securing in an agile uh, development environment. So maybe if we can discuss that a little bit, Pivotal is maybe one of the most committed uh, development organization in terms of like modern methodologies, pair programming, uh, you know like all sort of extreme programming uh, techniques around. And it's interesting, we heard a little bit. you told us a little bit about uh, security playing a role there in the security enablement and and the likes and the teams running there. What aspects do you see like what interesting development practices you think people can adopt from? how? Pivotal does security, and which interesting security practices do you see running on the platform itself?
0: That yeah. makes
1: sense.
0: Yeah, so one of the things that is really cool about Pivotal that you mentioned is the focus on extreme programming and agile development in general. And what's interesting about Cloud Foundry is that we're kind of an embodiment of those philosophies and we're experimenting on actually taking that Pivotal model and scaling it. So, it's not just one development team that's doing pair programming. It's hundreds of engineers within like a 2,000 person company all over the world. So, there are some interesting things that we've been doing with security. If you kind of consider each of the little product teams that are building the platforms as kind of their own application or service teams, one of the things that we've been doing a lot more is running what we call security workshops, which are both to kind of level up the experience of particular engineers with uh, respect to understanding threat modeling and just basic security concepts, while also trying to learn how to attack their specific part of the system. So we're both improving the security of the system and hopefully teaching these engineers more about security, so that when they inevitably rotate to other teams, they can bring that expertise and help kind of scale the security education as a whole for the company.
1: Is this a educational workshop? This is like a mock application that you run through with some frontal, uh, like some some presentations in it, or is this literally, you know, pen testing their applications and uh, and running tools?
0: Um, it's taken a couple of different forms. We actually have some cognitive science. Pivots who are, are working with us on it to kind of design better... Sorry,
1: Pivots is like pivotal influence? Oh yeah, pivotal, okay. pivotal Uh
0: Yeah, so we have some cognitive scientists who are helping us with understanding how people kind of make a switch in mindset. So one of the things that's really interesting is the product teams are often really focused, obviously, on their own code and, and pushing features and things. But they also... Work from a mindset where they're empathetic to their users and empathetic to each other and assuming the best of everyone, which doesn't necessarily help you uh, get better at security, right? Yeah. because you you need to understand who the people are that are attacking you and the fact that they don't have any respect for your stories or your code or the law. So those security workshops, we usually have a couple of different activities that are related to, Understanding threat modeling and understanding that mindset of an advanced persistent threat against your part of the system, but also you know draw an architectural diagram of what your component looks like. You know where does the value move through that system, and how can we protect it?
1: First of all, like cognitive scientists <laughs> working <laughs> yeah. with the Dev team. Wow, I guess I never really thought of of the complexity or of how building you know empathy and you know thinking about your users and putting them first could actually get in the way a little bit of security mindset because you, you trust or you know you love your users too much exactly. to, uh, to, to believe that they would do something so evil so you do the workshops and you and you teach those components have you managed to, to it, it sounds like the dev teams themselves own many of the security aspects or at least you know should care about security have you seen this as results like do you see initiatives security related initiatives coming from the team do you see definitely uh, the dude like central tools that are actually initiated by the teams.
0: Yeah, so one of the parts of the agile process in Cloud Foundry is running what are called inceptions, which are you basically take a large feature and understand the scope and the inception is a meeting where you meet with the whole engineering team and and other stakeholders to understand, you know, the goals and anti-goals of that particular feature initiative. So I've been to a number of these where they were related to like specific security improvements for the open source that weren't initiated necessarily by an engineering director telling them they had to do it, or somebody from a security team telling them that they had to do it. But it's like, oh, here's something that we have to accomplish, and it turns out if we do it this way, it'll be more secure. So teams are definitely starting to understand that security is debt that they have to pay down, and that... When they do new things, if they do it in a more secure way, they don't have to spend as much time paying down that debt.
1: Yeah. Interesting. I think, well, I I think Pivotal has always been kind of at the forefront, as we just discussed, around development practices. So, we'd love to see the Pivotal dev process, or, well, in fact, maybe we are seeing it (laughs) being an example or sort of. Of, of embedding security into that process as well right of sort of having that security ownership there. I think everybody believes that security should be an aspect of quality, should be something that's built in and it's just really really hard to do it. I also really like even just that name I mean I've mentioned this a few times today <laughs> about the, the name of security enablement you know as a, as, a, as a name of a team because I think it, it very much demonstrates the, the fact that this team is there to enable security that is performed by the dev teams. Because you know that's the only way to scale. That's the only way that it would uh, get embedded in. Exactly. So uh, there's a lot I still want (laughs) to sort of dig into. Uh, I think uh, I think I have time for one more short topic, uh, and then maybe a bit of a closing question. So when you think about this, was all about sort of Cloud Foundry and your processes. When you talk about your your users a little bit, you see Cloud Foundry organizations, and you know they're using. A PaaS, or maybe they're running containers on it. Let's sort of focus a little bit on the uh, so the platform as a service angle of it. How do you see that impacting security? Does that make it more secure or less secure to use a PaaS versus, you know, say running containers or running your own systems?
0: I guess I th- I think back to my experience previously before working at at Cloud Foundry. Um, I was working at a small energy efficiency consulting firm, and we had. A particular person who was more excited about DevOps than most of the other developers, and he basically like figured out Docker like before it was before Docker was a thing. He was trying to run Docker and trying to run our applications. And I think of people basically building their own platform and not realizing it versus okay, we have a company with you know five hundred people, dozens of teams working on this for yeah. you. Um, there are always going to be things that you. As someone trying to roll your own platform, don't think about. And that I think for our customers and, and Cloud Foundry customers in general, like the actual line of where people are providing value in their organization is at the application level. They're not winning awards for running Linux servers yeah. securely, so they should focus on on finding a platform that they can they can live with in terms of its security, because the alternative is to do it yourself and probably mess up.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I would say even more strongly. I mean, I think maybe it's the same concepts that you're saying right now, which is the more you do, the more opportunity you have to mess up security in it. <laughs> and when you run with with a PaaS, then you you have the opportunity to to put your security constraints and practices into the platform itself exactly. and have a very small number of of people do that if at all maybe you're even you know somebody else is operating the cloud for you and that reduces the opportunity for a developer to uh, uh to mess it up and fundamentally it's the pros hopefully <laughs> that are uh, that are sort of running the platform itself I definitely believe that that type of notion extends the serverless and function as a service, which is at the end of the day just a a variant of of platform as a service with some specific attributes to it. I know I'm a a fan from a security perspective of centralizing security uh, when it doesn't get in the way of, of agile.
0: I mean, the point is to make it as secure by default as possible, precisely, and also build in kind of as many layers as possible to prevent your valuable data from getting taken.
1: Cool. Um, so this was fascinating. Before I uh, I kind of let you uh, let you off the hook, you know, one question that I ask all of my guests uh, on the podcast before you disappear: if you had one tip to give a dev team looking to to, to level up their security practice, or or maybe if it's just a, a security pet peeve that you're trying to get people to finally get right, you know, what would that one thing be?
0: I'm afraid uh, people probably have said this before, but Credential leaks are a huge deal. I think they're they're in the news practically every week. You know, somebody made an S3 bucket public, or you know, somebody's credential was in GitHub, and Bitcoin miners, you know, spun up a bunch of VMs and cost them a lot of money. So yeah, it's they're very preventable. We've built a lot of of tooling around securing credentials and trying to scan for when they get leaked. So I think developers in general should just be really careful about
1: their credentials. credentials. Cool, I think it's a good one. I'm not sure if others have mentioned it on the show and I think it's it's this single point of failure that you have, right? You build all these controls about who can run what and who can do it and then you end up leaking that person's credentials and it's all free (laughs) and open for the attackers. Cool, that's a good tip. Well Molly, thanks a lot for for being on the show today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: And uh, thanks to everybody who tuned in and join us the next one as well. Thank you. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show, or want us to cover a specific topic, find us on Twitter at TheSecureDev. To learn more about HeavyBeat, browse to heavybeat.com. You can find this podcast and many other great ones, as well as over a hundred videos about building developer tooling companies, given by top experts in the field.